We're going to read um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's page 220, uh, 288 on the Church Bibles. It's a long passage, so I'll try and read it fairly swiftly. It's also quite a familiar passage to lots of us, and I want you to listen as if this is the first time and be wowed by what you hear, because it's an extraordinary story, and if God can do this big thing, think about all the little things he can do in our lives as well. So, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill you, kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Easy. <laughs> your, ser your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five, five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will de deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face, face down on the ground. 
So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the, the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose, young, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Applause, thank you. Thank you so much, Alison. My name is Callum, I'm part of the church family, and it's my pleasure uh, to talk to you for a little bit about David and Goliath. Please do have the passage open in front of you. It's really important. It's on page 288 uh, as we look at this story. It's a long story, as you notice, and it'd be really helpful if you have the passage open in front of you. David and Goliath, maybe the most famous, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Most of us at least have heard of it or have heard a sportscaster mention it in some sort of, you know, FA Cup match. Yes, it's a very famous idea, it's a famous expression, it's a famous story. And it's so long, I'm going to specifically look at four characters here in this story. We were looking at the life of David, we started uh, last week, and we saw last week in chapter 16, David is God's uh, anointed one, his, his chosen one. Anointed one can also mean Messiah. He chose to be king over Israel, though Israel does not really know this yet, not many of them anyway. They have another king, King Saul. They demanded a king, they demanded a king, even though God warned them that wasn't a great idea. So God said, all right, you can have one, and they chose Saul. So here we come to the battle of David and Goliath. We have two kings, one Israelite recognizes as king, and one who God recognizes as king. And the first character I want to look at is Goliath. Goliath. Now, we see in verse 1, the Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Soko in Judah. The Philistines are the enemy of the people of God, the Israelites. They worship another god and they despise God and the Israelites. They're at constant war, the Philistines and the Israelites, with one another. And you notice uh, David, what he said um, in verse 45. He recognizes this isn't just any uh, battle, but he says, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There's more at stake here than just some sort of territorial squabble. 
But there's a battle here. The Philistines are, are coming against, trying to conquer the people of God. Now, they have a champion named Goliath. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's about three meters, as you can see in the lovely footnote. Now, if you're wondering, okay, let's visualize what three meters is, you see this tape here on the wall. That's three meters, roughly. I'm six foot, by the way. He is kind of tall, I would say. He was a bit of a big chap. And he's wearing some very impressive armor as well. Verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Again, lovely footnotes, about 58 kilograms. He's wearing a lot of armor. He has a spear, which the head of the spear is incredibly heavy as well. And we see he defies the Israelites. And he says, why don't we have a champion's battle? So we don't have all this bloodshed, two armies facing each other. This is not an uncommon thing, actually, in warfare at the time. And there's a bit of an idea as well that this isn't just a battle between two champions, but it's a battle between gods. Whose god will win? And we see in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If I was facing a guy, I mean, there's some very tall guys in the young adult community in this church, um, but none of them are that tall. Now, there's all kinds of different theories about Goliath. Maybe one of the most common ones is that he had a genetic defect. And it says in 2 Samuel that there were other giants, all from Gath as well. So maybe there was something going on in the gene pool of the Philistines, and they had giantism. This idea where people get very large. But in giantism, they're actually very weak. Um, usually their, their bones are incredibly weak. And they say, ah, oh, well, I think it's verse 52. When David flings his stone, it goes straight in through his skull. Giantism. He had a weak skull. He's actually quite, quite weak. That's verse 50. So maybe, actually, he was quite big and intimidating, but actually he wasn't that big. And that's the moral of the story, isn't it? Sometimes our challenges seem really big, but they're actually not that big when you actually face up to them. So we should just face our giants. But that's not really the point of the story. The fact is, actually, Goliath had on quite heavy armor, and people with giantism are very, actually, usually can't, wouldn't be able to hold such armor. I don't think he actually was that. I think he was supernaturally big. But also, whether he was incredibly powerful or just looked so, do you think the God who created the universe and all that's in it is that fussed on whether he's that big and tall or actually he's weak or not? Do you think God is intimidated by Goliath? I'm going to say no. You all look unsure. But I'm going to say no. I'm intimidated by Goliath. I'm sure Saul, even David, was intimidated but that's not the point of this story. Goliath was a big chap. He was intimidating. But he's not even remotely the main character of this story. But let's look at another character in the story, Saul. Now, Saul is the king, but we see in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
And as we're progressing in 1 Samuel, this is a big theme of 1 Samuel. Saul has disobeyed God. He's disobeyed God's commands. And so God has taken away kingship from Saul and placed it on David, his chosen one. Saul was tall for the day and time. I uh, have it on good authority. The average height in that region in that time was five foot to five foot five in that region. Saul was probably in the six foot region or taller. So compared to the normal person, Saul was a big strapping lad. Yeah? He was quite impressive. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the Israelites insist on having a king, if you look at 1 Samuel 8, just a little bit back, verse 19, after God's warning that if they do have a king, he's going to be a bit of a tyrant, the people refuse to listen, chapter 8, verse 19, to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Saul was an impressive guy and a warrior and very physically striking. But when he came up against somebody much taller than him, suddenly he's terrified. He's the king. He is the one who is supposed to go and lead them into battle. He's the one who should be going out there when Goliath makes the challenge. But when he sees, ah, nope, I'm not going out there. He's terrified. And there is a little thing to say for us. We saw when God anoints and chooses David in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, the Lord said to Samuel, that's his prophet, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected David's older brother. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, how many times do I look at the outward? How many times do I even look at the spiritual gifts of other people in the church and say, oh, well, they could do that, but I could never? We are so programmed to look at the outside, to look at people, how, how, how gifted they are, how they look, their charisma, the, the gifts, the skills they have. But when we put our hope in that, when we put our trust in that, as Saul clearly has, there's always a bigger fish. And suddenly, this king is not acting so kingly when he sees Goliath. We see that he's, he's refusing to act. He's frozen. And he's putting his trust in experience and in armor. Do you, did you notice that when David is with him? He says in verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out, out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. Seems like Goliath also maybe is an experienced warrior. Saul seems to think so anyway. Saul sees it, the immediate. And then even once he says, all right, David, he might not have even really been hearing David when he's talking about bears and lions, okay? He says, all right, go and be with you. Hey, put on this armor. He's the king of Israel. He probably has the latest technology, the best armor you can get. Yeah, okay, we'll put this on you at least. Maybe you won't get fully squashed. He's trusting in armor and experience. But that's clearly not going to be the best with Goliath anyway. 
But he's the king over Israel. He's supposed to represent them. He's supposed to have this relationship with the Lord. But he's lost complete sight of that. Have you lost sight of God? What are you putting your trust in, in life, I wonder? Saul, the no longer king in God's eyes, isn't trusting him. But then we have David, the king chosen by God. But here's the interesting thing. Just a chapter before, he's been chosen king. God's prophet Samuel anoints him. And then where do we first see him in this story? Well, he's still quite young. So he isn't actually even at the battle um, because he's the youngest. He's tending sheep. He's doing a quite humble job for his dad back at the farm. I don't know about you, but if I, you know, uh, God's prophet had uh, just named me king, I'd be a bit, you know, wanting to get out there and then, um, hello, I am the king. But this is the key. David, God does not look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And what are the two things we see about David in this passage is that he has faith and he's humble. He's humble. He's tending the sheep. And we see, verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, take this epaph of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. So David goes. He's serving. He's serving his dad. You know, he could have said, which, you know, teenage Callum might well have said to my parents when they asked me to do chores, "Um, actually, God has appointed me king, uh, so I'm going to sit here and relax. Eat Doritos. I don't know. But he goes. He's serving. It's not even a question. And we see this over and over with David as he's learning about Goliath, as he sees Goliath. He sees things differently, doesn't he? We have the next image. David, the primary difference there seems to be between him and Saul is David's faith. And what David sees, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 26. The armies of the living God. Where is Saul thinking that, saying that? David says when he approaches Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, Saul seems to see God through Goliath's glasses, spectacles. For British, yeah? David sees Goliath through God lenses. Saul sees God through Goliath lenses. David sees Goliath through God lenses. And to be honest, if you've got God, but you've got a Goliath in between you, you are going to lose sight of God, potentially. But David is keeping God at the front of his vision, at the front of his heart. And he's outraged that no one's acting, no one's defending God's honor, nobody's taking a step forward as this guy taunts them 
40 days it's been going on, this standoff on either hill when David arrives. It's a bit of a standstill. But he knows the Lord is in this. And that's really key. He has humility, but he has faith. And faith acts. Faith is not just, yes, I tick all these boxes. Yes, I believe all these things. Okay. Faith is something that moves. Faith is something that applies to our daily lives. And in David's case, he can see somebody needs to take this guy out. And he knows God will be with him. So he goes. Even despite his older brother, verse 28, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. He has his doubters, but that doesn't stop him from taking action and from going. And so he faces Goliath with a sling, because that's what he's most comfortable with, it seems. Not Saul's armor. And he takes him down. Now, here's the interesting thing. We, as human beings, when we read this, we typically read ourselves in as David. Yes? He's the hero. We like to put ourselves as the hero in the center. But I don't think we're David in this story. That's not the one we're most like. Though it is true that we need to look at the world more through God lenses than Goliath lenses. We're actually the Israelite army, I would say. We're Israel, the people of God. They're frozen. They're standing there, paralyzed by this enemy, not sure what to do. Milling about. It says they're terrified, verse 11. Dismayed and terrified. And verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. But around the 40th day of this standstill, there comes one from amongst them. Though they're king, though they don't recognize him yet as king, he goes in front of the enemy that paralyzes them and taunts them over and over, who seems unconquerable and insurmountable all on his own despite their lack of faith and not because of anything they have done to merit it or deserve it with criticism actually from his own family and doubt from his own kin he faces this enemy and deals it a mortal blow. Does this sound like anyone familiar? If not, it's Jesus. And even more, it says after he struck down the Philistine, verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it out from the sheath. After he'd killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. 
graphic, yes. But I love this. It's like the most insulting thing he could do. He's defeated the Philistine champion, and then he cuts off his head just to finish it off for good with his own sword. This little, just out of his youth guy. And Jesus, too, conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death. And what did he use to kill it? Death itself. He not only conquers our greatest enemy, he conquers it in such an awesome way. Where, O oh, death, is your victory, the early church sing. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's the conquering king. But he's a humble king from Bethlehem. He's a king who works and acts on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it. And then as the story goes on, then, verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. The Philistines had saw, seen that their hero was dead, and so they run. I think it's dismaying enough if you see your champion who's been just intimidating so much fall, and that might be it. It might also be as well this element of this is a God versus God battle, and they've both, you know, kind of declared in the name of their God as they go into this fight. And so the Philistine, Philistines retreat. Then Israel suddenly has some feet on them. Suddenly there's a bit of steel and a bit of heart. Then they surge forward as the enemy retreats in complete disarray and dismay. And that's actually a picture of the Christian life. We don't go out and face the giant. The giant has been slain for us by Jesus. He has defeated sin and death. He has made a way that we can know God forever and be free. Satan has been bound. Death has been defeated. We have the victory already in Christ. Now we can charge forward. Now we can shout. Yes, there is still battle to, uh, to happen to go until Jesus returns, but the victory's been won. Yet we often actually act and live like Goliath is still there. Does life right now for you, if you're a Christian, feel like victory, like surging forward with a shout? If not, we all feel like that. It doesn't always feel like victory. But we look to our champion. We look to Jesus. And we know he has won the victory. Then we get back up. We give a shout. And we go back in there. The war has already been won. And we give to God all the glory. We are not David in this story. We are the army of Israel. And I want to encourage you as well, as a side note. David was very young when all this happened, and it's frequently repeated his youth. I notice particularly his youth. Saul even says, you're too young for this. So for young adults and youth here, 
As Paul says to Timothy in the New Testament, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. You can live a life for Christ now. You can do great things for Christ now. But he also says don't look on the outside either. Remember Moses was very old when his ministry began. Whether you're young or old, it is not the Saul's, uh, but the David's. The ones who are humble and who trust God and look at the world through God's lens, lenses who have the victory through Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much uh, that Jesus has won the victory. Thank you so much for his humility and yet his power and his victory. I pray for us more and more that we would be looking to our champion, Jesus knowing he has the victory and trusting him as we charge out into victory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.